stand for the reading of God's Word this evening, Matthew chapter 5, and we'll be looking at the first four verses tonight. Verse 1 says, And seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain, and when he was set, his disciples came unto him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Let's read verse 4 together. Can we do that? Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Now, this seems like a peculiar verse that the word blessing and mourning would be found tied together. You're blessed if you mourn. You're blessed if you are sad. You're blessed if you go through times of emotional struggle. We live in a day where emotional health is really under the the spotlight. A lot of focus is put on emotional health, and a lot of people are going through a time of great emotional struggle. Uh, Christians, each of us know what it's like to go through times where we mourn. Jesus said, you're blessed if you mourn, and he also says that when you mourn, you will be comforted. The title of the Bible study tonight is this, Divine Comfort for a Hurting Heart. Many of you in here tonight are carrying private burdens. Uh, You're going through things that are difficult. You go through times of great sadness. Maybe you mask it and cover it up when you come to church. Other people are a little bit less um, good at covering that up. I find it funny that some people walk into church and they look the same 52 weeks a year. Uh, They got a half a smile on their face. And they have the same demeanor and the same body language, and you never know actually how they're doing. Other people come in the door, and this has been my mother growing up. She'd go to church, and you would know exactly how she was doing. She was very happy, or she was very sad. Uh, Very little covering of that up, and uh, not possible. Uh, Everyone would know exactly how she's doing. I don't know which one of those you are tonight, but I know this, that whether you're going through a difficult time at this moment or not, All of us go through difficult moments. All of us go through struggles. And when we mourn, the Bible promises that uh, to the believer that we're blessed because we'll know the comforting hand of God. Let's pray. God, help guide the message this evening. Uh, Lord, help me not to get so caught up in my notes that I miss, uh, Lord, having you speak through me and to these people. And so, uh, Lord, we all need these truths. And so, Lord, just... um, Meet with us tonight. May the words go beyond just the earlobe. And Lord, may they enter into our hearts. May they lodge into our hearts. May they make a difference in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. One morning a Christian man was asked, How are you feeling this morning? And the man replied, I'm feeling very burdened. Uh, the gentleman that asked the question seemed confused. He said, your face and body language says you're doing quite well, but your words say that you're not. So, are you really burdened? The Christian man replied, yes, but it's a wonderful burden. It's an overabundance of blessings uh, for which I do not have enough time or words to express my gratitude. There was an awkward silence in the air. After a moment, the Christian man said, You look puzzled. Here, let me explain what I mean. He quoted Psalm 68.19. Psalm 68.19 reads, Blessed, Blessed be the Lord, who daily loadeth us with benefits, 
Even the God of our salvation. Amen. He said all these blessings that God has put on me are so heavy that I am burdened down with blessings. I like that perspective. I like that attitude. I am burdened with the good things that God has given me. Christ, uh, in this famous sermon, He gave eight conditional blessings to those who choose to comply with these teachings. So look with me at Matthew 5. And what you'll find is that in the first half of each of these verses, you find the responsibility of the Christian. God lays out for us the responsibility of the Christian. And in the second half of the verse, you find the reward of the Christian. So here's how this works. If you will do your part, then God will do His part. Aren't you glad that every single time you do your part, that you can count on God to do His part? Well, let's look at these together and see the responsibility versus the reward. Look at verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit. What is our responsibility? To be poor in spirit. You know what that means? That means we are to be humble. We are to be humble. We're not to be lifted up in pride. What happens when we do that? Well, what's our reward? The Bible says, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Did you know that if no one who is rich in pride gets saved? You must humble your heart in order to find salvation. Verse 4, blessed are they that mourn. Well, that's our responsibility to mourn. What happens when we do? Well, we understand the comfort of God. Do you know that you can't be comforted if you're not mourning? Think about that for a moment. You're jumping up and down for joy. No one needs to comfort you. You're happy. You're going through a time of great sadness. Then God can come along and He can comfort you. Well, let's look at just a couple of other examples of this. Look at verse 6. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. I remember one time uh, I ate a really big meal. And um, right after I ate this big meal, I came home to see my family. This is before I got married. I was still living at home with my family. And uh, someone invited our family to go to a Chinese buffet. And so I went with my family to this Chinese buffet. But did you know what? I didn't eat anything. I sat and watched everyone else pile up their plate with orange chicken and General Sal's chicken and sweet and sour chicken and and tilapia, which didn't look real appetizing anyway. Chinese buffet tilapia, I don't recommend it, amen. And uh, and then rice pudding and everything else that's there. And the sushi bar. And they're eating away. And you know what I didn't do? I didn't fill my stomach because I was already filled. You can't be filled unless you're hungry and thirsty. And so uh, we see the responsibility of the Christian in the first half and then the reward of the Christian in the second half. Now, um, uh, as we look at the Beatitudes, what we see is that verse 4 seems quite unusual. Look back at verse 4. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Pastor, God here is telling us that we are to mourn? What about Philippians 4.4? 4? What does Philippians 4.4 4 say? It says, Rejoice in the Lord always. 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 And again, I say rejoice. Over 200 times throughout Scripture, we are commanded to rejoice. So how do these thoughts come together? We're both to mourn and we are to rejoice always. Well, um, Ecclesiastes chapter 3 
and verse 1 words it this way, To everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under the heaven. There is a time and season for everything. Verse 4 continues on in Ecclesiastes 3. It says this, A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. Baptists get uncomfortable when you start talking about dancing, but it's in the Bible. Amen? Um, a time to dance. Don't ask me to dance because I can't dance. i got no rhythm. You don't want to even see me try. Uh, but a time to mourn and a time to dance. Ultimately, the spirit of the Christian is to be that of joy, but deep down inside, when we feel the emotion of sorrow, a true Christian will find an unusual joy that is provided by the Holy Spirit of God. This joy is used to comfort us as a Christian. Are you with me tonight? When we mourn, there's still a joy that lives in our heart that brings comfort to us. Now, I want to say this to each of you tonight. You need to learn how to find comfort from within during times of sorrow and not just search for comfort from without. You know what the pastor can do? He can provide comfort from without. And you come to church and your siblings in Christ can provide comfort from without. And uh, a big bowl of ice cream can provide comfort from without. And uh, listen, a double cheeseburger from McDonald's can provide... I can't provide you anything. Uh, But uh, listen, uh, there's a lot of things that can provide you comfort from without, but only joy given to you by the Spirit of God can provide comfort from within, and that is the best comfort that you can be given. Let's jump in tonight, and let's do a Bible study on this topic of mourning and comfort. Number one, notice why we mourn. Why we mourn. Let's take a few minutes to talk about where uh, grief comes from. Letter A, notice life's circumstances. Take your Bibles over to Isaiah chapter number 6. Isaiah chapter number 6. Look with me at verse number 1. The Bible says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Now, the year that King Uzziah died, why is that of relevance? Are we being given a historical marker to tell us the year? Or is there more to this in this passage than just a a date of an important person dying? Biblical historians tell us that King Uzziah was the cousin of Isaiah. So notice here that in Isaiah's mourning over his cousin's death, he got to know God on a whole other level. Many here this evening have experienced the death of a loved one. In fact, how many of you here tonight have had someone that you're close to in your life at some point pass away and cause your heart to mourn. Would you raise your hand if you know what that's like this evening? And uh, at this point in my life, the closest relative I've had pass 
are my grandparents, and I was close to three of my four grandparents, and uh, when each of them passed, it brought me to a place of mourning, but I've not known what it's like to lose a mom or a dad yet. I've not known what it's like to lose a spouse yet. I hope I don't have to know that, or I hope I never have to know that. I hope I die first, all right? Secretly, I hope I, ha- I die first. But anyway, um, uh, I don't know that I can handle the heartbreak of losing a spouse. Just being totally honest, that would be quite tough. I don't know what it's like to lose a child. I don't know what it's like to lose a brother or sister uh, to death. And, and listen, these are heavy things. These are heavy things. And understand that in a lot of cultures, and probably the culture Isaiah Grew up in your cousins were like your brothers and sisters. How many of you grew up in a culture where cousins were like brothers and sisters? You're in and out of their house, they're in and out of your house, and uh, yeah, their their mother spanks you, and your mother spanks them, and uh, you know what I mean, right? There's this there's this uh, a feeling of oneness within a family, and Isaiah's king cousin passes away, he's experiencing uh, uh, sadness. And I have been to many funerals. I have conducted many funerals over the years. And let me tell you, the younger someone is when they die, the more sorrowful and heavy those funerals seem to be. I I think of um, Anna Sepulveda at 19 years old who passed away just uh, maybe a year and a half ago and going to that funeral home in Bridgeport and seeing that place just packed out with people and the the moaning and, and wailing and the shaking and the great sorrow and uh, Anna dying at such a young age unexpectedly. And I can think back to times in my life where life's circumstances, maybe not death, but life's circumstances have really let me down and Where does this come from? We have an expectation, and then that expectation is not met, and then we can be left facing just deep, deep, deep sorrow. I can remember sitting in a parking lot uh, waiting to go in for a job interview in Bristol, Connecticut, and having given my two weeks' notice at the church I had worked at, and getting a call from the church's secretary, and she says, you won't believe what just happened. Uh, The pastor came in my office, and he was laughing, and I asked him what was so funny, and he said he shouldn't tell me, and I pressed him, and she said, well, he told me, he said, I have finally done it. I have finally done it. I have gotten rid of the lejeunes out of the church and off the staff. Not only have I gotten rid of them, they'll be out of here in two weeks. And the best part about it is they have no place to go and no place to live. Isn't this just fantastic? The secretary resigned her job and left. her and her husband left the church over that happening. I sat there in that parking lot there in, on Spring, Spring Street in, in, in Bristol. I could take you to the very spot my car was parked. And my heart was just crushed. I had tried so hard to serve this man for the last nine and ten months. And he was just uh, just cruel. Just cruel. I remember being so hurt by that. Wondering how a guy who calls himself a man of God could behave in such a way. But having seen him treat other people that way also. And I remember life's circumstances crushing me much like a soda can being stepped on. 
I can remember moving up here to Connecticut and driving a box truck and delivering tires and feeling so disappointed that I was not serving God in church ministry. I have lost my joy. And maybe you're going through a time of life where it's as though you have a rain cloud hanging over your head. A life has punched you in the mouth. Life has kicked you in the teeth. Life has really got you down. Life's circumstances have been not what you expected. Why we mourn? Letter A we see life's circumstances. Letter B, we see sin's curse. Look at Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 4. So Isaiah is grieving the loss of his cousin and uh, as though uh, he's lost a sibling, likely anyway. And now he's grieving not only over this, but in his grief he is caught up in a vision into heaven, Isaiah tells us in his own book. Look at verse 4. In the posts of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. When Isaiah saw... God, in His holiness and in His perfection, He immediately fell prostrate on His face and declared Himself unclean and the people and His people to be unclean. Turn over to Isaiah 64. Isaiah 64. Hold your place in Isaiah 6. Could it be that God had Isaiah pen these words? that we're about to look at because he had been given a unique perspective that no other author of the Bible had. I have in my drawer right now some very old t-shirts, undergarment t-shirts, and I have probably worn them for, oh, I don't know, six or seven years, and they have holes in them, and uh, they uh, have just the oil of my skin that's been absorbed in them over the years, and me going outside and working and sweating in them. And you know what? I'll put them through the wash, and I'll use bleach, and I'll do all these things to clean them. And I'll lay that on the bed, and I'll say, that is white. But then I go to the store, and I buy a brand new t-shirt, and I lay that down on the bed. And you know what? That t-shirt that's six or seven years old, it doesn't look so white anymore. You know what I mean? Uh, It's old and dirty and tattered. Look at Isaiah 64, verse 6. Isaiah, after having seen God in his perfection and holiness, pens this, but we are all as an unclean thing, and all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags, and we all do fade as a leaf. He said, our righteousnesses compared to his righteousnesses are as filthy rags. So says the prophet that saw God in his perfection and holiness. When we get a proper perspective of God, not only will it help us to find humility, but it will also, as Matthew 5, 3 says, blessed are the poor in spirit, it will also help us to see how sinful we are. It will bring about a hatred in our own hearts towards sin and a sorrow in our hearts when we commit it. When was the last time that you confessed your sin to God in private and you mourned over your own sin. I have said this before, but the 
the art of mourning over sin in our Christian American churches is lost. We are so calloused and we are so comfortable and we are so good at making excuses over our own wrongdoings that we shrug our shoulders and we excuse it away and we just pretend as though it's no big deal when we break God's law. And each time that we break God's law, that's one more swinging of the hammer that put the nails in His hand and His feet. It's one more swatting of the back of our Lord and Savior with the cat of nine tails. It's one more spitting in the face and pulling of the beard and punching with the bag over his head. It's one more effort to injure our Lord every time we break God's laws. We ought to mourn over our sin. Let me ask this evening, do you pray for our country? Do you pray for the United States of America? Do you pray for God to heal our land? I think about each little baby that's sacrificed in the womb of a mother at the convenience of living a promiscuous life. That happens hundreds of times each day and how God is heartbroken as these babies are killed in their mother's womb. I think about the wickedness that goes on, the sexual promiscuity that takes place and how it breaks the heart of God. I think about the lies that are told every day. I think about the abuse that takes place against children every day. I think about the husbands who cheat on their wives and the wives who cheat on their husbands and how God looks down and sees the debauchery and iniquity and brokenness And Isaiah said, I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell amongst a people of unclean lips. And he was sorrowful over this. Our country needs men and women who will be prayer warriors, who will fall on their face and mourn for our country, who will mourn over personal sin and corporate sin. Why do we mourn? Why should we mourn? Well, we mourn over life's circumstances. We should mourn over sin's curse. Letter C, we see love and compassion. Look at Isaiah chapter 6 with me again and look at verse number 8. Isaiah says, Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? Then said I, Here am I, send me. Take your Bibles to Matthew chapter 9. And so Isaiah, here's the Trinity having a conversation. And this is a neat verse. While you're turning over to Matthew 9, Isaiah 6, 8 is a neat verse for many reasons. But we see God spoken of in a singular pronoun and a plural pronoun. Whom shall I send and who will go for us? The, The oneness of God, but yet the plurality of His persons. God is one being and three persons that make up that one being. And Isaiah hears the Trinity having this conversation and in His compassion He says, Lord, I'll go, send me. Look at Matthew 9, look at verse number 36. And But when He, Jesus, saw the multitudes, He was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep Having no shepherd, then said he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. 
Jesus, I imagine Him standing maybe up on a mount outside of city, on an elevated plain. We know Jerusalem to be an area of elevated plain. I see Him standing on an elevated plain, and He's looking down on Jerusalem, and He sees people going about their day-to-day affairs, and maybe a tear begins to trickle down his, his, His eye as His heart is moved as He sees this people, and He says, these people are lost, and they need a Savior. These people are lost. The harvest is plenteous. He said the laborers are few, and the reality is that uh, hell is a real place, and every day thousands and thousands of people, they die and they slip into hell. Many of them go there because they never were told the gospel message. I wonder, as Jesus stood there that day and looked down on those people, if He looked at individuals who He knew would soon die. I wonder if He looked at a man or a woman and thought, going to die for Joey, I'm going to die for David, I'm going to die for uh, Elizabeth, I'm going to die for Naomi, but no one will ever tell them the good news. I knew a lady in a church I once attended who needed to get special counsel because she was so heartbroken over the lost that she would pull up to a traffic light and she'd look over at the car next to her and she would think this thought, That person, statistically, doesn't know Jesus and likely is going to die and go to hell. And she would begin to weep and cry. She would begin to weep and cry in such a way where she could not see straight to drive down the road. She'd have to pull onto the median of the road and her bald body would shake and shiver and, and, and she just could not function in life because she was so burdened over the lost who needed Jesus and needed to be told of, of His salvation. And, and she would witness and share the Gospel to anyone and everyone who would listen. But the reality of a world uh, where the broad path was full and the narrow path was empty, uh, Matthew seven thirteen and 14, it so shook her to the core, it caused her to mourn. Why do we mourn? Life circumstances, sins, curse, love and compassion. Number two, notice how we feel God's comfort. How we feel God's comfort. Let me go through these quickly, but I think these will encourage you tonight if you are mourning, if you are in a time of grief. Letter A, notice, we must enter His refuge. We must enter His refuge. Turn over to Psalm chapter 57 with me and look at the first verse. And oh, uh, there's a great Bible study to be had on the refuge of God, on how He is our rock and He is our place of protection, our refuge. Look at verse number 1 with me. The Bible says, Be merciful, here David is speaking, Be merciful unto me, O God. Be merciful unto me, for my soul trusteth in thee. Yea, And the shadow of thy wings will I make my refuge until these calamities be overpassed. Earlier we talked about life's circumstances. Sometimes it feels like you're in the Sea of Galilee in a boat and the rainstorm just keeps pounding harder and harder and harder and there doesn't seem to be an end in sight. I mean, your HVAC system goes up in your home 
when you turn the air conditioner on, and then the next thing you know, your tire goes flat, and the next thing you know, you lose your job, and the next thing you know, uh, uh, your kid breaks her arm, and the next thing you know, uh, someone uh, you find out in your family's got cancer, and the next thing you know is, and it's just piles one on top of the other, and you think, can I catch a break? David said here, he said, when I am battling life circumstances, and I just seem like I just can't catch a break, I hide myself under the shadow of thy wings. That's where I make my refuge. God's refuge is only available to those who have received God's gift of eternal life. And I would say this evening, I'm speaking to a crowd who I believe everyone in here to be a believer, but if you're watching online or maybe you're even here under my voice in the room and you've not put your faith and trust in Christ alone, you cannot know what it's like to rest under the shadow of the Almighty and the refuge of the Almighty until you have first put your faith and trust in Christ alone to be your Savior. You need to understand that He died on the cross for your sins. He became your penalty. He suffered your hell on the cross. He offers to you eternal life. He he awaits your faith in order for you uh, to be a part of that family. But once you are there, that does not necessarily mean you are automatically under the shadow of the Almighty. Understand that God is a refuge, and here's what we do. Let's say that this platform represents the the refuge, and there's a, a bulwark, there's a wall, there's a strong tower that protects me from the enemy. You know what I happen to do sometimes? I happen in my own life to wander away from the refuge and expose myself to Satan's attacks and pain and hurt. And when that happens, I need to run back to the refuge so that God can protect me and look after me and take care of me. And some of you tonight, you're in a storm and what you need to do is you need to run to a time of Bible reading and you need to run to a time of prayer and you need to run to a place where you're in the presence of the Lord and you dwell under the shadow of the Almighty. I remember when I lost that position at the church and I was driving that box truck. I was so upset and angry over that. And I remember I I would turn up the sports radio as loud as I could and I would turn down my Bible reading and prayer. I didn't read my Bible or pray for quite some time. I attended church out of habit, but my heart really wasn't there either. And I remember just being so upset and angry over the whole situation. And one day I'm driving up Highway 8 uh, 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 going from one stop to the other. I got around exit 9 19 or 20 and my heart was so heavy and so full of bitterness and I had been running from the refuge. I had been running from the rock. I finally pulled my box truck on the side of the median there on Highway 8 and I broke down and I wept and I told the Lord I was sorry and I made restitution. I made things right. I, I What did I do? I ran to the refuge. Psalm 30 verse 5 says, Weeping may endure for a night but joy cometh in the morning. I promise you, you might have a cloud hanging over your head. You might feel like nothing is ever going to get better. But my friend, joy comes in the morning. We must enter His refuge. Letter B, we must show true repentance. We must show true repentance. Go back to Isaiah chapter 6. And look at verse number 5 with me. Isaiah chapter 6 and verse number 5. 
Then said I, we're running out of time, I'm going to start reading and catch up when you get there. Woe is me, Isaiah says, for I am undone, because I'm a man of unclean lips. I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken from the tongs from off the altar, and he laid it upon my lips and said, Lo, this hath touched thy lips, and thine iniquity is taken away and thy sin purged. What does repentance mean? I don't think very many Christians practice actual repentance. We run to verses like 1 John 1, 9, which says if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so we think that we have an entrenched sin in our life, and as long as each day we get down and we confess that sin, then that makes it okay for us to get up and repeat that sin and then run back the next day and confess the sin and then repeat the sin and then confess the sin and then repeat the sin. And we just are in this cycle of confess, repeat, confess, repeat. And listen, God does not just want you to get on your knees and say, I agree with you, God, that this is wrong. This is not just an intellectual agreement over my wrongdoing. This is a heartfelt, emotional agreement that I am hurting you, Lord, and I'm going to repent and I'm going to go in a different direction. Now, what does the word repentance mean? Repentance, write this down if you don't know this already. Repentance is a changing of the mind that leads to a changing of the action. It is a changing of the mind that leads to a changing of the action. And you know what so much of the Bible is addressed to, especially the New Testament, is the renewing of the mind. Romans 12.1 talks about the renewing of the mind. Philippians 2.5, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And Christian, we need to learn to let Christ renew us and Christ to change our thinking. Listen, if you are confess, repeat, confess, repeat, confess, repeat, somewhere in there you have got to repent and not just confess. Repentance is saying, Lord, this is the behaved, the entrenched behavior that I'm in. I'm going to renew my mind and turn from that behavior. And the changing of my mind in that behavior will lead into a changing of my actions. And you know what? As you begin to walk out of sinful behavior, you're going to walk away from a spirit of mourning as sin causes you pain and grief into a place of great comfort. Oh, may Christians learn to hate sin. Let me tell you what most Christians hate. Most Christians hate sin's consequences, but they don't actually hate sin. We need to learn to hate sin because it nailed Jesus to the tree. We need to learn to hate sin because it grieves the heart of our Savior. We need to learn to hate sin because God hates our sin instead of just being afraid of being caught in our sin and uh, having to suffer consequences as a result of our sin. I have learned over my years of being a pastor that most people will not actually change until they are threatened with losing something they greatly value. And when they're threatened with losing it or they're on the cusp of losing it or maybe they are losing it, then they want to quickly change. And you know what that tells me? Is you're only changing to avoid the consequences. May Christians learn to hate sin, not just its consequences. Someone once put it this way, sinners leap into sin and love it. Christians ought to lap into sin and loathe it or hate it. 
How is it that we find God's comfort? Well, we must find, we must show true repentance. Not just a, a, a confess-repeat cycle, but an actual changing of the mind that leads to a changing of the action. Letter C. And lastly, we see we must embrace our responsibility. Look at Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 8 with me. I'll read it for you. The Bible says, And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then said I, Here am I, send me. Verse 9, And he said, Go. 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 You know what? God has created you to do a work. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 says that we are His workmanship. We are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works that we should walk therein. We are commanded, we are created for a work. And if you're not doing the work Christ has created for you, then you're going to not, you're going to find it difficult to know God's comfort. I find Psalm 126, 5 and 6 comforting. They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. He that goeth forth and weepeth bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. And listen, that passage is oftentimes misused to talk about uh, going soul winning. Psalms 126 is not talking about going soul winning. Psalms 126 was written to the nation of Israel while they were in a place of captivity and mourning. And you know what uh, the author of this chapter is saying is that while you're in captivity for your and you're mourning over your sin and idolatry, if you'll sow in tears, you can know what it means to reap in joy. And you can break away from sin and you can enjoy righteousness and you can uh, bring forth those sheaves. Matthew 9.38 Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that He will send forth laborers into His harvest. I'm going to speak to you uh, straight from my heart as a pastor to you this evening. I do believe that I am at an advantage with this principle because of the role that I, I, I play uh, or the position that I have as pastor. You see, I have burdens just like you have burdens. You listen tonight? I have sin struggles just like you have sin struggles. I have hardships just like you have hardships. Do you know why it's a little bit easier for me than it might be for you? Because I have 250 people who yank on me and say, Pastor, I need your help. And you know what I do every week? And you know what I do even most days of my life? I set my burden down over here. And I run along the side of one of you, and I help you bear your burden. And when I come back over here to get my burden, it's a whole lot smaller, and usually it's gone. And then the next day I have a burden, and I lay that down. And I run along the side of someone else, and I help them bear theirs. And then I come back to my burden, and I find that God is taking care of it, and it's gone. It's gone. You know what? That's my job. That's what I've given my life to do. But you know what? Here's the beautiful thing about this. You don't have to be a pastor to bear someone else's burden. It's a choice that you have to make. It's a choice that you make. You can, you can waller in self-pity of your own problems. Or you can leave that to the side. And you can let the love of God flow through you unto others. And if you'll embrace your responsibility of being a laborer in the harvest and doing the work of the Lord, what you're going to find is God's great comfort 
come running over you. Have you wondered where your joy has gone? Do you have a hurting heart? Are you in need of God's comfort? Run to His refuge. Repent of your sin. Embrace your responsibility. Share the good news of Jesus Christ with the world around you. And help those who are hurting in your life. Let's have every head bowed, every eye closed this evening. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I'm going to give you a moment just to pray right where you're at. We don't need any music. You say, Pastor, I'm not going through a hard time right now. Then think of someone who is and pray for them. Take a moment and pray for them. Maybe you are going through a hard time in your life. Why don't you take the parts of this message that apply to you and ask God to help you with that. I'll give you just a moment to pray and then I'll have us all stand and I'll pray a prayer of dismissal. Let's stand to our feet. Lord God, thank you this evening for the Bible. Thank you, God, that it doesn't just teach us the facts of past history and tell us stories of people's lives. And God, it's not just a history book. It's a love letter. It's a love letter that's meant to help heal our hurting hearts. And God, to be human is to sin. To be human is to be hurt. To be human is to struggle. To be human is to know pain. To be human is to be flawed. To be human is to be offended. But Lord God, Your Word offers the healing balm and salve that we need. Lord, may we learn to bear one another's burdens. May we learn to confront our sin. To see our sin what it is. To repent of our sin. And know what it means to live in liberty from it. Oh Lord God, we need You. We need Your comfort from within. And just as we began the message this morning, may we embrace our responsibility to mourn, knowing that we'll reap the reward of being comforted. Lord God, guide us this evening, guide us this week. May we live with our loyalty to heaven and the Son of God who died to save our souls. Lord, may we go forth and live for you. Bless us this evening. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.